Welcome back to another episode of the Primal Aspects Podcast. This week's guest is Stefano Tripney. Stefano is a team instructor with MoveNet. Um, he's also become a great friend. He stayed with me for a while. Uh, so he'll come out here occasionally, do certifications, and hopefully come out to hang out in the future. Um, a really knowledgeable dude, super interesting background, uh, and just uh, I feel like he's an artist at heart as well as a movement guy. Um, so he has a unique perspective on things. But it was a lot of fun. So we, I recorded this episode solo without Matt because he was otherwise engaged at the time. But it ended up being our longest episode and one of my favorite ones that we've ever done. So I hope you guys enjoy the show with Stefano Trip. Sweet. And we're rolling. And I am with Stefano Tripney right now. And it's great to have you on the show, brother. Good and to be it's here, just man. gonna be you and I Yeah, it's just gonna be you and I. Matt is a MIA right now. He's suffering from insomnia, which I think we're probably gonna do like a whole episode on it because he's been dealing with it for the past like six months. That'd be helpful. A lot of people I think suffer from that. So Yeah, I mean, do you have any experience with it yourself? Uh, no, not uh, insomnia, just, you know, sleepless nights, uh, but very, very rare. I'm fortunate that I, I can sleep through the night. But as I've been getting older, I just I just wake up early, man. So I just have to check myself when I go to bed. I wake up at 648, mm. seems like, every single day without, uh, mm. without interruption. So I, I've just had to shift my sleep schedule a little bit. Now, that was a weird thing. I didn't expect it to be so abrupt, but mm. it's a thing, man sleep's important. I wish no, I've, I've noticed that in myself too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not as old as you yet, but even Thanks. where I'm at now, yeah, even where I'm at now, you know, it's like, I'll get up like six or seven. Like, even if I fall asleep late, yeah, I still, I'm still up. Yeah. It's early. yeah. I get up. I, I think I just, I get up with the sun now, just as soon as that sun comes up and it's bright enough when my room gets a certain brightness, I'm up regardless. So anyway, mm. that's another topic. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, so I want to get into your background a little bit. We sure. start with a lot of guest backgrounds. I know. So a while ago, we did a podcast with you and Danny. Yeah. And we had so much stuff going on that it was hard for us to get everything released. But now, you know, podcasts out, we're doing everything. So I think we're going to drop that episode as like a bonus episode down the road. Oh, cool. Um, But we're going to do... Like I want to do one with you and Danny separate, so we, people can get to know you and sure. everything you're about. So let's sure. get into your background. Cool, man. Um, let's see. Well, I uh, I'm a small town boy, northwestern Ontario. Um, I lived there my whole life, but we had access to uh, you know lakes and trees. I was an outdoor cat, so I spent a lot of time in the woods. Uh, I didn't play sports. Uh, I got into martial arts, and so. Martial arts and you know, hiking around it was just sort of my, my thing as a kid. Playing a lot of games, not much has changed. But uh, <laughs> yeah, formally got into martial arts. I think that was my first discipline. You know, um, got into Taekwondo at age 13 and, and just kept with that and was exposed to a lot of other things. I was fortunate mm-hmm. I had an instructor that was uh, cool enough and secure enough with, him, with himself to let his students go. And he encouraged us to go and learn new things and after time, I became, uh, I was like his, uh, you know, don't want to use the word protege, just I think that I had enough uh, zeal and zest. 
for him to kind of take me under his mm-hmm. wing and start exposing me to certain things. So that that's how it started. Lots of different martial arts uh, throughout the years, man. Like lots of different striking arts. And you know, when 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 UFC popped up, I was there. I remember I was going to a, a tournament in Winnipeg, I think. So middle of the night, three a.m. I'm going Seven Eleven, looking through Black Belt magazine and mm-hmm. a back cover. You know, it's just this UFC. I couldn't believe it. It was the real life Kumite. I, so mm-hmm. all that stuff was popping off. And so I, I, I kind of ventured off. I was competing at the time, but I was also really interested in all the new things that were happening. So I became a bit of a seminar junkie and I'd travel a lot throughout Canada and especially down to the U.S. Rick Faye's place down in Minneapolis, the Minnesota Cali group. I went down there for, man, it just seemed like every other month I was on there taking uh, some type of course. I mean, mm. in those days, like it was almost the Wild West. Like I said, USC was just starting off, so grappling was big on the scene. So I was fortunate to go down and, and, and train with uh, people like John Jock Machado and uh, Eric Paulson, Oleg Tektarov, um, Judo Jean LaBelle. Uh, man, they're, they're, they're just some really cool like, icons, you know, for today, mm-hmm. legends. So that was really cool. And then, uh, so- yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was ask, like, just for clarification, you have more experience with striking stuff versus grappling, right? Yeah, way more, way more. Okay. Yeah, way more. So that was mostly was that that, that piqued your interest more than the grappling stuff? Well, that uh, was the only thing that I had access to. Um, okay. Until until about ninety three, ninety four, when, like I said, the UFC popped off, and then I started just taking seminars, but it was never available where I was. Uh, I moved to Calgary years later and, and it was available, but I wasn't as into it then. Um, mm. You know, that was just a different time. So now it's, it's okay. just as much as I can do. And, so, and then eventually that just, I don't want to linger on this too long, but it was the martial arts that brought me to movement because I, when I started teaching and coaching martial arts, I just noticed a lot of my students just didn't have the, 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 the you know, the, just the strength, agility, speed mm-hmm. they're lacking mobility just lacking in these physical characteristics that i think that i'd taken for granted um so i, I looked at ways to help them just develop more physical uh, physical robustness you know and then take that mm-hmm. into martial arts and i didn't know what i was doing so that kind of launched me into so mentorships and, and getting fitness certifications and, and, and the rest went from there. And then to kind of finish it off, I moved away and, and wanted to get out of fitness and martial arts and, and start something completely different. I moved overseas. I lived in Italy for three years and I came back and uh, I went to the gym that I was working at and they got me right back in and I started doing it again. But at that time I realized that I wanted to do something different, didn't know what. So uh, went into Google and YouTube and came across uh Ido Portal, uh, gold medal bodies, gymnastic bodies, and animal flow, and MoveNet all around the same time. And I just decided to go with MoveNet. It spoke to me. It was uh, something mm. that I've been looking for. It seemed a little bit more complete, something that at the time I felt like I could really get behind. And, and uh, I had the interest already because of all the things I used to do as a kid. And it, the way it just sort of seemed martial arty in the sense that it's skill development. And I, don't know, I was sold. And, and that's how it yeah. started, man. I just went through all my levels and, and the rest is history. Oh, beautiful. So I wanna I do I definitely wanna dive down the MoveNet rabbit hole a little bit. But I wanna let's talk about your travel in Italy. Because mm. 
did that give you a lot of perspective on yourself and what you wanted to do in life? Because you weren't you a bartender or barista out there or something? You're in the culinary industry, right? I did that too. <laughs> yeah, so, did that too. Not, <laughs> not, not in Italy. In Italy, I was working as a teaching assistant. Um, okay. That's how I, that was brought in. But I think they realized quickly that I could do more than just photocopy and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, put up bulletin boards. So I got involved with the science curriculum uh, with the year threes and I, I did a lot of uh, private tutoring. I was just doing more. So I did learn a lot. I, I think what I got out of that, because I was educating children at the time and in a second language, right? So um, mm-hmm. my ability to communicate was heightened. Uh, I learned how to communicate to children and, and, and quite honestly, it just made me better at dealing with and communicating with adults. So mm. that was actually a big piece of my coaching acumen that I got just through dealing how to you know, work with children that are second language. So it was very, uh, very animated, very direct, just little things that I had to learn. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it helped my coaching career immensely. And unexpected. Well, I would I would imagine too, like the, you know, Italy, I haven't been there. It's one of my heart is called to go there for sure. But you know, the, the, the art there, like the reverence for life and play and like food and wine and all that stuff is, you know, that's at the forefront of their culture. Yeah. And I would imagine just being around that one thing I see in your work, even through movement and the way you express yourself, it's, it's like almost like an artistic viewpoint that you take on a lot of different things. And I yeah. see that in your movement and I totally appreciate that. Thanks man. Uh, that's, that's a really nice compliment. Thanks. Um, yeah. I mean, how, how can I answer that? Italy living in Europe. I mean, I was, I was living in Italy, but I saw a lot of Europe at the time too. And uh, just the way that their culture embraces uh, leisure. I was mm. very attracted to. Um, the way uh, the the uh, the way that they would uh, the community and the family dynamics were not different because I was raised in a half Italian family and household, but it, it was different in the sense just the way that they. Uh, if I was to strike a contrast between North American and European, it, it's, it's kind of like this. It's uh. It, in Europe, it's hard to kind of get past the like the familiarities and get past someone's boundaries to get to know them. But once you're there, like they'll they'll take you in and you're part of the family. North America, it's very easy to get past. Uh, you know, we're very friendly up front, but you may not get an invitation to dinner. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I noticed, and so I, I just took the best of both of those communities. And so when I got back to Canada, when I got back to North America, I was just—it was the first time that I was able to express myself, quite honestly, in my own language, right? Because when I was mm-hmm. living early, I had to learn the language uh, first. I, I didn't speak it going there; I had to learn it, and I had to get it to a point where I was proficient enough that I could actually come across as a, a somewhat of a whole individual. Because humor, nuance, mm-hmm. all these things you lose. So I felt mm-hmm. a long time that I was like a shell of myself because I wasn't able to be fully expressive. So when I got back to Canada, I realized the importance of communication, the importance of being able to have yourself understood and heard, and then how to fold all of these elements that you take for granted, right? Mm-hmm. Humor, being able to expand on a concept, 
the 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 power of uh, you know a metaphor. That that's really what I what I found. And so when I came back, it was just all these things were heightened. I realized that the, the strength that they had. So I, I focused on that. Yeah, it's amazing to see those differences in language. You know what what someone thinks is funny or the timing of things, all that stuff. And I, I like what you brought up about how the difference between getting to know someone in North America versus Europe. I felt the same way. I, I haven't, I've been to Dublin. It was a similar kind of thing. You know, it was like hard to like break someone's walls down. But once you did, you're like, oh man, like I'm super tight with this person now. Yeah. And yeah. Here, so you it, get it. It, yeah. It's, it's kind of, sh- it's almost like we're more shallow here because more we want, yeah, we want everything to be good right away. You're like, oh, how's it going? Like, I'm going to be very cordial. And like, I like people being cordial and everything, but it never it never feels like you're authentically connecting most of the time. Yeah, maybe you that know? has to do with, uh, you know, we're a much younger culture. We're not as mm-hmm. established as a country. Perhaps these are all things, you know. I've been fascinated ever since. That's for sure. And uh, I like to... You know, just my character, I like to push boundaries when I meet people. That's sort of how I feel and find out whether they're mm-hmm. my people or not, you know. So, yeah, man, you know, uh, I, I guess to kind of close this last thing off, I, I think travel is an incredibly important thing. It's a it's a potent teacher. And so if uh, anyone listening, if you've got a chance to go relocate for a little bit, don't hesitate, do it. You'll never regret it. It'll be the best thing you ever did. Get out there. Well, yeah. Now, now you're working with MoveNet, and I mean, you travel to teach, which is yeah. a pretty incredible thing. Yeah, I traveled to teach. I, I you know, <laughs> yeah. 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 last year, last year's been last year's been crazy, man. Last year's yeah. been really tough, uh, not just for me, but you know, for everybody, obviously. But you know, specifically, just on the MoveNet team, like that—that's what we do. That's what we're passionate about. It's what we love doing, and we've not been able to do it. So. We've actually had a series of firsts. We've got some, we've had some fantastic events down in the U.S. and awesome events that are just starting up in uh, in Europe again. So they just had one in Verona, in Italy, mm. uh, and I think that was a, a Jerome Ortoni. I think that was his first event of 2021. I'll be flying out to Montreal uh, in a few weeks in uh, June for the first Canadian event, and then. Through July, I've got two more, and August, another one. So that'll cover all the four cities in Canada. So if you're hearing that, and if you want to jump on board for a certification, I'm 99% sure that there would go. So coming okay. into June, you know, like, not, yeah. Yeah, anything can happen, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm already looking at getting flights and accommodation and everything set for Montreal. So I, 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 think, that, uh, I think that we're good, man. I think that it's – Oh, it's great. Yeah, I know there's uh, – to get on with uh, teaching people this method. I'm, I'm excited. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's an event uh, in June in a couple weeks that Danny's coming out for, Danny Clark, who's yeah. MoveNet guy. And that one is, it seems like a lot of people are going. Because yeah, I've dude, talked I... to uh, Nate Amato, who's been on the podcast. He's a MoveNet guy. I think you know Nate, right? Of course. Yep. Yeah. So Nate is going. Um, Danny, Jonathan Lang. Uh, this coach down in Colorado Springs, and ev- all of them are like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to assist." I'm like, "We're gonna have like five like level three assistant coaches at this one event." So. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think man, 
I think everyone is just so excited to get back at it. Uh, yeah. I've had requests, same thing, you know, in these events that I'll be doing. I've gotten requests already for some level twos that want to come and assist. And that's great, you know, and they, uh, they're starting to relax some of the restrictions so we can accommodate some more people coming to these events. But, yeah, so super stoked, man. Yeah. Super stoked. Yeah. So let's let's talk MoveNet a little bit. What, sure. What is it? You know, we've had one other person describe it. I'd like to hear you describe it. It's obviously near and dear to Matt and I uh, with Primal Aspects and everything we've done the past couple of years. So, yeah, what is what is MoveNet to you? What is it giving you? What is the practice? Yeah, okay. Like, my answer really is different, uh, or at least it's nuanced when, depending on who answers or who asks the question, sorry. But I, mm-hmm. I think the way that I want to answer this is uh, in terms of complete systems i've I mean, yet to come across anything as complete as movenet um bar none hands down you're forced to look at all the different domains in which a human moves you have to be able to move on the land you need to be able to move in the water and you need to be able to do all these things on the land that you would have to in order just to 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 overcome any obstacle that comes your way, uh, it just can't be argued. But we have to do all the things and get up and down off the ground, move on the ground, jump, vault, climb, swing on things, uh, swim, fight. But it, it just calls on all of these attributes of the human animal. And I've just mm-hmm. not seen it done like that before. So what it forces you to do is, uh, well, Certainly, everyone's going to have a strength. So you'll, you'll, the good news is you're going to find something within the curriculum that you can dig into right away. And that's awesome. Simultaneously, you're going to come across things that either you have no experience with or that you're very limited with, limited understanding, uh, limited experience. And you're going to come across things that are quite a challenge. And some of them may be expected, but there's always a surprise. <laughs> and usually, if you're planning on doing an event, the surprise usually comes when it's time to balance because we hardly do any specific <laughs> balance training. And, and, and yeah. in my opinion, it's the cornerstone of everything we do. If you have no balance, what are you, what are you going to do? I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. So we put it's a so lot of emphasis on that and, uh, and people are, I think they're pleasantly surprised, you know, because the other reason is, is that the, you can get better so much quickly. It's not so much quickly. You get better very. I'm going to take this back. You get better much more quickly at balance than you would other things. Um, so the turnaround and the rate of return, it's great. So it'll actually inflate your balloon a little bit, and you can feel good because you've got uh, quick success. And then there are other aspects like the climbing. They're very challenging, you know. But we're teaching people how to climb all sorts of things and use mm-hmm. skills that are set in a way that you don't have to just rely on strength, you know? So it's a beautiful mix of strength and skill and conditioning and, and uh, awareness and mindful application and man. So it surprised mm-hmm. me and I, I fell in love with it. Uh, it was after my very first event that I went to in Vancouver. And I realized at that point, it's like, yeah, this is something that I, I want to get behind hundred percent. So mm. And it's, it was a continuation of your your coaching and all the physical practices you were already doing. Yeah, like I was already a, I was already a fitness coach. I was already doing that. I was running, um, you know, classes. Uh, at that time, I was doing a lot more high intensity interval courses. 
because that seemed to be the rage and then functional fitness uh, was there too, you know? So what I mean, what movement did for me is it brought functional and made it practical. Right. So then I was, I found this mm-hmm. distinguishing this, this demarker demarcation between like, okay, this is practical, this is functional, but not all, not all functional things are practical. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of helped me delineate away from just, just functional uh, to highly practical skills. And I loved it. I loved it. Mm. It's a broad umbrella, you know? Um, so at first, I, I guess it can be intimidating, but uh, the other beauty is that it's a system. It's a true system it's in the sense that you can take aspects and you can, you know, these, these, the principles, you can overlap anywhere, right? So it's, you don't need to learn different rules of engagement, different skill sets. It's, 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 it's all contained. So if you just did the system, You'll be amazed. You'll be blown away at the outcome. That's for sure. Just do all the that's, things. Oh yeah, that's that's one thing that I've explained to some of my clients is like I want them, I want them to see like movement the way I'm looking at movement. You know, I don't want them to just break it down and be like, okay, this is a hinge. I have to do a ten by ten kettlebell swing or whatever. I'm like, no, like that's, you know, that's good to have that structure for your program. But it's viewing, like you said, the principles and the concepts that actually becomes the driving force to changing your habits, changing your lifestyle, and then ultimately being able to be self-sufficient in your own practice so that you don't, you're don't you not reliant on a program or somebody else. Yeah. It, you, it, you're right. You're oh, right. Okay, it, go ahead. Yeah. Well, just, just on that too, like programming is good, but uh, you know, I think programming is a great thing to, um, to get you started. It's good to have mm-hmm. a map. Yeah. But... Uh, like you said, we do encourage people just to go out and do some type of, even just a structured play would be, would be good. So, but it, it bleeds out into your entire lifestyle. So for me, like when people say, Oh, well, when are you training today? I said, oh, I started when I got up. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I put aside t- time for um, very specific training, but I can stand on one foot anytime I wish. I can start expanding my peripheral vision anytime I choose. I can uh, close my eyes and just get some sensations from my body and proprioceptively become more aware of where I am in space at any time. You know, so these invisible adaptations, something that Erwan talked about, it's it's hard to really, it's hard to measure, mm-hmm. but easy to experience. Yeah, he calls it the continuum of movement, right? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, all these things can be trained at any time. And that's, and, and that's not even addressing other simple things that you could add in your home. Like said, Ben, sometimes sitting on the floor, uh, get up and down off yep. the floor, right? So these things are really easy to implement. Um, and just some examples that I'm grasping at now, but there are many more. But you said so, it best. It just becomes part of your whole being that you engage and interact in your environment. So you mentioned, uh, circling back a little bit, you mentioned how some people find something within the practice or the system of movement or, you know, like just movement in general that they're like, oh man, this is really challenging. Maybe it's the climbing, the balancing, jumping, whatever. What were your limitations when you first started it? What was something that you realized you're like, oh shit, this is, this is hard. <laughs> inverted crawl, <laughs> inverted crawl kick. <laughs> Kicked my ass. And, you know, it's the funniest thing because I remember going through I, – I remember doing this. Um, I, I, was a, I was so involved in my preparation for MoveNet because I'd been away. 
And I didn't, mm-hmm. I've never really done uh, a fitness certification since I did my AFLCA, which was not difficult. It was not a challenge. It was just more theory, right? So when I was prepping for this, it seemed to me like it was somehow at the same time, very familiar, but foreign and alien at the same time. So I dove in really deep into it. And uh, aside from all of the really cheesy flashcards that I had, I just had a list of skills that I went through with the video library, just like we ask anyone to do, go through the library, practice the skills. So I remember mm-hmm. I, was, I, was, I was like, good, I, I could do that, good, check, 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 tickety, tickety, check, check. And then I got to inverted crawl and I closed my computer and I was so frustrated and I started questioning, is this right for me? Am I really going to go? I can't even do this simple inverted crawl, crab walk for some people, right? So mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're crawling with your hands behind you and your, your feet in front of you. And I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't get my shoulders back and I couldn't carry a load. Oh, and my, tight. I was so tight. I was so immobile in my shoulders. <laughs> so then I realized at that point, I was like, oh man, like, this is something I haven't done since I was a child, you know? And mm. uh, I also had a hard time sitting cross-legged. I couldn't squat. Uh, I, and I couldn't even do, I, I could not do any load-bearing squats or hinges, deadlifts, um, and, and any other movement from that subset because I had issues on my hips and my shoulders. So I made it my own personal mm. mission just to figure out ways that I can use the MoveNet method uh, to start to alleviate that. With such success, yeah. you know, such yeah, think- success that now I, I, I'm kind of known as the, you know, juicy hips guy. Like, where, where did that come <laughs> from? I, you know, it's like, that's kind of cool. And, and I'm 43, yeah. right? I'm 43. And I just continue to get better. And that's yeah, the, I think there's the fear a- for me, man. So hips and shoulders were my things. Uh, I, I, I couldn't do very much. <laughs> Uh, I certainly couldn't yeah. do a squat with an overhead position, all these things, you know. And so when I wanted to, I'll, I'll finish this up quickly, but when I wanted to get into some of the more uh, exploratory ventures, things like handstands, I didn't have the hardware, right? And so I actually injured mm. myself. I injured myself because I, I wasn't set up properly for it. And so I, I use mm. MoveNet. I use MoveNet, and this is something that uh, a little bit more known for, but I have two two practices, let's say. My whole foods diet, which is MoveNet, and that includes all of the, the striking and all the martial arts that I do. And then over here, I've got my little dessert practice. And that's like, to me, that's a lot of back bends. That's a lot of hand, hand balancing. It's stuff that doesn't really mm-hmm. fall under the banner of practical. But damn, is it ever fun? And it's so challenging. But the only reason I can even play with that stuff is because I did MoveNet to get myself ready. So MoveNet's the ultimate template for you to get mm. prepared to do pretty much anything. I, I'm, tr- I'm struggling to, to think of how it couldn't be a good launching pad for somebody. You know? Yeah, I don't, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's one of the, the most powerful systems I've come across. You know, I've done Eldoa, I've done a lot of check training, some strong first stuff, like all mm-hmm. these big organizations and, uh, and they're great for really? what they do. Right for what they yeah. do, but they, they exist within a very specific container. Yeah. Well, and like, and really, like, it's MoveNet that has allowed me to do all of those things just right away. Right. I was already right. able to, you know, I was already able to do them from doing MoveNet. And like, 
you know, and the Czech Institute, they call it, and I'm not poo-pooing the Czech Institute. They have amazing content, amazing stuff. But Yeah, but they have, they call it infant infant development patterns, right? It's a lot of the crawls, a lot of the stuff that MoveNet teaches. But when I was doing these crawls, I had a Czech practitioner tell me like, oh, you're doing that wrong. That's not how you do it. I'm like, eh, like, why is it not how you're supposed to do it? I was like, you know what I mean? It's hard to describe without showing the crawl, but it was just something that seemed strange to me to say because I'm like, well, you, you're talking about the crawl from a theoretical place. Right. I was like, you're not actually practicing this crawl. And I know they weren't because like they didn't do it. Huh. You know, they couldn't do, it was a low crawl, which right. is the lizard crawl for some right. people. And right. I'm like, right. well, I was like, you can't do it. So why are you telling me that I'm doing it wrong? when you don't even practice it, you know? And I thought that, I thought stuff like that was like an interesting disconnect. Yeah. Um, and that's a fair question asking, why am I doing this wrong? Okay. Because the answer anytime. And so the classic answer that you're going to get from me when a question is posed nine mm-hmm. times out of 10, 9.9 times out of 10, the answer is going to be, well, it depends. And it yeah. always depends. <laughs> you have to ask yourself the why. So why am I doing this crawl? Well, okay. It depends. So, what are you trying to achieve? Is it something that you're trying to achieve like as far as a task, a real-world task? Or are you trying mm-hmm. to condition your shoulders? Are you trying to build strength in that low position? Like, What is it that you're trying to elicit here? Is it, is it some type of physiological adaptation? Or is it uh, just solely um, to be effective at doing something? Like, it, yeah. Because it can be both, right? But... It's the why. It's the. It's really. It depends, you know. And mm-hmm. if and if you don't frame your answer that way first, I'm immediately skeptical. Mm. There are no absolutes, you know. But in a lot yeah. of systems, it's just got to be this way because um, fill in the blank. I I don't know. Yeah. No. I totally agree. Well, one thing I wanted to bring up though that I think is a beautiful lesson for people is. You mentioned, all right, I asked you about your limitations and you said the inverted crawl. But really what you kind of illuminated was the inverted crawl was really just a movement that showed you so many other things. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily the crawl itself. But like you were like, oh man, my shoulders, my hips, like there's all these other things that doing this one simple movement was able to tell you a lot about your body. That, and and I that's, think that's a great lesson for people. That's that's totally it. Because every time that you embark on something that might be novel to you, right? It's like a litmus test. Is that like you get to test it, and you get to test it at a low level, so the the incidence of injury is lessened, right? So you get to see is like, okay, let's test this here because it will ultimately affect everything down the stream from it, right? So if we can look at ground movement and positions just simple transitions and, and if there's some static there well we, we can quickly assess uh what needs to be done in order for you to to not be roadblocked but to have continued successes all the way up the progressions mm. so what are some other pra- i mean you mentioned your dessert practices back bends handstands stuff like that do you have my so this is my own personal opinion i i've been really into uh flexibility training Pretty much since quarantine, I was like, I just want to start stretching a lot. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. been working on my front split, middle split. And you know, same, those same, are, actually, same, yeah. Same, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but those are practices that 
I'm like, okay, these aren't necessarily like, you don't need them to do most natural movements. No. But for, you know, myself, I like to rock climb. I like to do jujitsu. I like to kick sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like this is only going to help yeah. all those other practices. And, and what I've noticed, cause I've been doing a lot of, it's called a, it's just isometric flexibility training. So one of them is like a long lunge and you just stretch your legs out as far as you can, holding the position for yes. about a minute. And it's just excruciating. It's yeah. I'd rather squat 400 pounds than do that. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, you know, big stretch, but I'm like, okay, like how is this not beneficial to any practice? You know, that's something I've started to realize. I'm like, I think it should be included more. So here's what I do when people ask me, okay, well, what about this? What's my answer? Yeah. It depends. It depends. <laughs> it depends. It depends because um, I used to poo-poo handstands um, until I started to enjoy them. Then I did, obviously I didn't poo-poo them anymore until I hurt myself. And then I poo-pooed them again because my idea was like, well, what use is this anyway? It's like it's, it's very difficult. No one's ever going to even need one really. Um, mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get proficient at it. The risk of injury is quite high. Most people have immobile shoulders, so their loading is not very good. So I was like, but what kind of a mental exercise would it take to tease out a practical application for the most silly move, right? And so that became mm-hmm. a practice of mine, like a, or a, not, a, you know, like a mental practice of mine. I'm like, okay, what? Is the, in my experience, is there anywhere I've used a hand? So I was like, oh shit, yeah. It, it, quickly it came to me. I, I remember having a, as a kid, outdoor cat, right? I was always outside. So when I was outside, my parents, they wouldn't know where I was, but small town, totally safe. So they'd leave and often they'd lock the door and I'd be somewhere else. And I'd come home and, and I'd be locked out of my house. I was supposed to have a key, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dummy old kid. Mm-hmm. I had to break in and I had my break-ins uh, I had two main entry points. One, I'd have to climb to the roof, right, and get in my parents' bedroom. Mm-hmm. So that involved climbing. So I like, that's cool. But if that wasn't accessible, the only other option that I had was climbing this tiny little skinny bathroom window that went immediately into the tub. And I would have been like four or five foot nothing at the time. Not, yeah. much, <laughs> not, not much different than now. But I would, I'd have to go in that, and I'd be, I'd be inverted. So I'd head down, and I'm reaching and, yeah. and sliding in this window, and I had no wiggle room because right, it's really, really tiny. So I only had one option, and I was to extend my arms over my head and literally fall onto my hands and be in a fucking handstand for the three seconds mm-hmm. it took me to get my legs up and over out of the cell and kind of do this weird cartwheel into the bathtub, right? Like weird. Yeah. But man, I, I had to do that, and that that was what I did, and uh, so that's, that's the best I can yeah. come up with. But regardless, if you can do a handstand, I mean, all it does it just demonstrates a lot of good shoulder mobility. So what I used it for yeah. was, like I said earlier, it's the litmus test. So I'm like, okay, as I get better through this and this and this, my overhead position is better. I can now carry a load overhead. There are a lot more things, practical applications you can have just by having better hardware. But I tested it and I retest it and I have fun with it and I can be expressive with it with all of the other things like handstands and car wheels. Right? Really fun. Well, and I think that's the most important thing, right? Like it's okay to do something like a handstand because I, I do I do handstands all the time. 
and yeah. it's uh it's purely for fun like it's so i just love it you know it's just enjoyable to me but it's you know with that said i i kind of do a similar thing i try like half of my maybe my logical brain is like okay what's the practical reason for this and the one that i came up with is like handstands got me comfortable upside down and so doing something like a dive roll mm-hmm. wasn't as scary because i'm coming you know you're diving out at the ground you're reaching with your hands you've created stability through the shoulders mm-hmm. so now when you brace that impact and absorb and roll mm-hmm. it's so much safer you know uh, it, yeah. it felt safe yeah i agree and i agree so- I agree with you 100%, you know, and so I think it's incumbent upon us to be able to find these connections, you know, mm-hmm. e- maybe even beyond the template that we've been given. And I think that's the beautiful thing about Move Now. Like, nowhere is it written by us that you can't do these things. We, we want, mm-hmm. we, you know, of course you can do these things. Is it in our curriculum? No, because it doesn't really fall under those headings of what makes MoveNet system cohesive, right? One of those mm-hmm. is practicality and universality of things that, not everybody can do them. Let's let's be honest. Um, and again, the practical applications like to spend so much time on it. You know, what's what's your return on investment for time and effort? I, right. So you still have to gauge this stuff. But if you can open up a door for more and more play, then why wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's that's what it's all about, right? I mean, we most people don't have to move for survival you know it's become we we train or we work out to be healthy you know that's kind of what society has adapted it to but to me it's like no like i movement yes i i wholeheartedly enjoy it i like that it makes me healthier i like the capability that i have but i just feel more prepared for life just anything in life you know yeah, and that's in. If I can have fun while doing it, then awesome. Yeah, like that's great. Uh, I've I've changed my approach to uh, to be more in line with the trajectory that I'm headed, and that we're mm-hmm. all headed as humans. Uh, we are all headed towards you know less and less and less ability to do things at, at a very Entropy. high level, right? So. Mm-hmm the way that I'm training now is to prepare myself to train, to, to move well, sorry, at 60. So the way mm-hmm. that I train now is to prepare myself to be 60. When I'm 60 to 80, I'll be preparing and training and moving appropriately mm-hmm. f- to be prepared for 80. Mm-hmm. And if things are going well, then I'll look at my next 20 year training block, you know, mm-hmm. but the way that I used to train and move when I was 20, doesn't resemble what I'm doing now. I'm much better now because I've had better practice, better hygiene, better habits. Mm-hmm. So I can do things that I couldn't do when I'm 20. And I'm headed towards things that I didn't think were possible at 40, but it seems to, seems to be rolling well, that's along. That's funny, right? Like having, thing. I mean, like experience is such a, especially with a movement practice, you know, when I was in high school, I, I was in a weight training program and, I lifted much more than I'm lifting now. You know, I had a much higher weights, you know, and whatever that meant, like whatever that goal was. I wonder how you looked. <laughs> but, no, yeah, no. 
didn't look as good. So that's for sure. I mean, I'm talking about form, not aesthetic. So like, oh no, my so my form was pretty good. Oh yeah, it definitely what not as good as it is now because it the, it was a weightlifting program, so it was an actual weightlift like a powerlifting coach. Okay. Um. So you know, we technique was a big part of it, but uh, you know, big butt here. It wasn't technique like you would see in move nat or strong first or Olympic lifters, you know, right. it was, it was still like high school weightlifting program. Right. And with that said though, like those numbers were, you know, they were great and it was awesome. And like part of me now is like, Oh, I want to be able to do that again. But I actually just like, I move so much better now. Yeah. I, in, in overall, I'm much stronger Yes. in like holistically. Yes. You know, I don't have four lifts that like I'm great at and then I suck at everything else. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know? that, that's a great point. If if let and think you can think um simultaneously about your journey as as Alexander, but that actually hits on something. So imagine if you were to keep that trajectory going, right? Mm-hmm. And so the only metrics you have are what? Um how much weight you Bench, can move. Clean, squat, yeah, budget. how much yeah. weight you can move and how fast you can move it. Right? So mm-hmm. well, power. Right? But um, once those, so eventually those metrics are going to hit a ceiling, right? Or you hit the ceiling. I mean, one of the two will happen first, mm-hmm. but vaulting is a good example. So if I could have easily gone my entire life without ever having to learn how to vault, terrible because I've, I'd always wanted to learn how to vault. I remember seeing, uh, before YouTube, there's a Google google video i think right and there were some really awesome videos of parkour first time i ever saw parkour it's coming out of eastern block europe right super cool mm-hmm. but i saw this and i'm seeing some of the vault that they're doing and i'm just like dang i, I oh, would yeah. love i would love i would love to be able to do that but and i was like yeah 20 something you know when i saw this and i was already putting these self limitations and these limiting beliefs they're false right false narrative um, but it wasn't until I was in my, uh, in my thirties until I learned how to vault and I was like, Oh, good. So, you know, uh, tripod vault, uh, split vault, front vault, inverted vault. Now I'm doing these like kind of fancy cool vaults. I'm launching spinning and off one hand. I'm like, if mm-hmm. I didn't come to move now, I would never have learned these skills. I don't think because there's not the same, or at least I didn't feel that it was the same on ramp in order to go do these other disciplines um, that would have been approachable for me. Not that, and things have changed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also not all coaches are made equal. Yes. And, and many other reasons, but personally for me and at my time, my development, what I saw in the parkour community, I was just like, nah, I was intimidated. So, but when I was first allowed to explore the groundwork and then build up on these different attributes, then when it came time to start looking at vaulting, I felt prepared. So then the fear factor was much, much lower. My, my, my uh, physical abilities were such that I had trust in my body and capabilities. So I, I had less fear in, uh, in launching myself into this, you know? And uh, I remember doing my first front vault, man. It was like something changed inside me. Uh, I feel the same way. Front vaults yeah. and inverted vaults scared me for a it, long time. <laughs> well, and, and the inverted vault, why though? For me, because it really tested this position with my arms. The, uh-huh, thing, yeah. the thing that I was terrified about, 
Um, you know, so, but, and so, yeah, so that invertible. So imagine if I didn't have time to, to, to work with the inverted crawl and then I get to this inverted vault, either no way, Jose, I'm never going to try it for this and this and this reason, or yeah, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give it a go and throw myself into it and then realize that I didn't have the shoulder mobility. Ah, right. Yeah. So it could have been yeah. a recipe for disaster. So yeah, because the vault, the vault, you know that that progression being at a higher level would have been deleterious, you know, to your shoulder. It would, like, it so would it's, have, yeah, it would have smashed it to smithereens. Uh, and that's the beauty of progression. Yeah, and so these progressions are built in. You know, it's really mm-hmm. beautiful the way that the system presents itself. Uh, it's 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 great because you can just go through the structure if you want, but mm-hmm. it also is. Uh, just by its own nature, you can dabble in different areas, but you'll make those connections whether you mean to or not. You're just going to come across them. So it can happen like almost like an emergent way, mm. um, but it can be inspired. Again, this is another sort of big, uh, big difference between movement and other systems is that you, it's where you practice that really is the determining factor on your abilities, right? So we put a high, high value on the environment that you train. So mm. the, the NAT in MoveNAT is all about natural environment. Or this natural environment, right away you want to think of, you know, the, the beauty of nature and everybody has spouses, this sort of these virtues of nature. But just mechanically, let's... Let's just break it down to what it is that you're doing. We're not creating any type of false reverence for nature. We're just looking at it as a potent teacher because no two surfaces are the same in a natural environment. Mm-hmm. But So for adaptation, this is hugely important. I'm only going to be engaging with one type of tool. I'll maximize my efficiency on that tool. But you change that tool slightly or you change the way I need to engage in that tool mm-hmm. slightly – the more experience I have with it, the harder it is for me to move and engage with something that is slightly askew to that thing. So when you're practicing in a natural setting, it's foisted upon you, right? Complexity, mm-hmm. complexity is, is the, is the only thing that's guaranteed, right? So there's something to this and then there's a lot more, but if you were to experience yourself, you just think about how planar and how flat and how uh, in a gym setting, everything is very predictable. Right. And so if mm-hmm. you think about sport, for example, sport lifting, whether it's a uh, uh, kettlebell, your sport kettlebell lifter, or if you're doing any type of bar lifting, I sound like such an amateur bar lifting. If you're going to do anything with a bar, let's just talk about the tools. Well, bar or kettlebell, you're going yeah. to uh, your um, – <laughs> the adaptations that you make are, are going to be very specific to that tool, yeah. which, is why no, they can I, make, which is why they can make a, a sport out of it because everything is uniform and the same. So it works great yeah. as a sport. But if you're to change – One is great because it – Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say it's great because it's, it's a – you you and I have had this conversation, you know, a while ago, but it's, you know, the gym is like a laboratory. Yeah. It's essentially the scientific method of yeah. movement, yeah. right? You know, you have 
you're a set, you have set variables. Yeah. Like you said, everything is predictable. Exactly. So when you have an environment like that, that's beautiful to be able to do that. And one thing that I really appreciated about you is you were very forthright about this. You're like, look, I have a lot of videos in the gym because I want to show people that it's okay. Like, especially like the MoveNet community, like yeah. it's okay to train in a gym. Like yeah. that's fine. It's just, it's about translating that to nature or to a natural environment. Totally. Yeah. So we, we test out in the gym. So it's safe, predictable. You can calibrate things. You can create metrics. It's contained, you know, so you can try things, but it's incumbent upon a real practitioner to take these things and then pressure test them in situations or environments that aren't so conducive, just a little bit different. So maybe, Maybe just out in your lawn, you want to explore crawling and moving on the ground. It's going to feel very different. And then you can take hanging on a bar and just hang off a tree limb. And you're going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, this is not the same. It's probably not flat. It's probably on a slight angle. It's got some mm. texture. It has variable thicknesses depending on where you are and knots and other branches. And so the way that you engage with that, you're going to have to make slight adjustments in order to do the same thing that you're very comfortable and competent doing on a bar, right? So Mm -hmm. it's going to take a skill that you already assessed and make it incredibly more robust, Mm -hmm. right? So it's easy then to go from, in a sense, it'll be easy for someone to go to be able to do skills that they're working on something that's a little bit lopsided and moving and not awkward structure. It'd be simple for them to go to the bar, very challenging for somebody to go that's only doing bar work to something as complex, but mm-hmm. as ubiquitous as a tree limb, you know. And there's less. Yeah. Well, and like, it, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to go from, let's say, the pull-up bar to a tree limb, it's almost like you have to take that pull-up bar level so much higher, right? So that the the requirement for the tree limb is easy because you're like, oh, I've taken this pull-up bar practice to the highest degree or like I think a, a precision jump is a good example. Mm-hmm. I have, I have some of the cube shout out to cube Germany for their equipment. I have some of that equipment from the gym at my house now because yeah. we closed the gym, which has been sweet. So I have uh, you know, I, right now I have like a balance beam set up. I'm in our little gym space here and I'll work precision jumps at it at varying distances. I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna do a five foot precision jump, eight foot precision jump, whatever. But if I'm doing a, eight, eight and a half foot precision jump in my control gym setting where the worst I'm going to get is like maybe a shin bruise or something I'm like, okay, that's sweet. So now when I'm outside, maybe I'm only comfortable with six feet Yeah. because, but I had to take it to a higher level in the gym. So I like what you're saying. It's like, if you're practicing in nature, it's already at this level that's going to make everything in the gym easier. You know, maybe, maybe. No, but, maybe, but yeah. not necessarily. Right. Um, most likely, most likely, likely. but I I really think that people would benefit from both. Now the benefit of training in a gym is that it's, you're going to have a steady state climate inside a gym Mm -hmm. setting, which means that you have no excuse to not train, right? So Mm -hmm. when people are, uh, when they show that they're apprehensive about going to a gym, I mean, not all gyms are very conducive to move that training. If you, I mean, for example, if you're going to go somewhere that only has Nautilus equipment uh, or, you know, everything is a machine, very difficult 
can be done, mm-hmm. uh, can be done, but very difficult, right? Um, so not all gyms are the same, but uh, in a standard gym, with if you do have access to pull-up bars and some things to lift and carry, you're doing all right. A little bit of floor space, that's that's all that you need. Um, but the beautiful thing is that your training, you'll be more consistent. If you have a place to go, you'll be much more consistent. And so, I mean, that'll obviously play out in your overall overall training regime. So the more you can practice, the better you can get. So if you're only going outdoors to train because you're a bit of a purist, but you're only going out a couple times once a week, a couple times every couple weeks because acclimate weather or it's a bit of a distance to get there, doesn't fit in your time and your schedule, or if it's it's just an open field and you're limited to what you can do with your MoveNet curriculum, well, then I would suggest maybe looking at another alternative, right? But I think they, they work best together. I really do. Oh, yeah, 100%. One thing you said that... Test, pressure test what you do in the gym, and you want to you get to a high level in a safe environment, and you can do that in a gym too, right? So they yep. work well. Well, one, one thing you just said too is, uh, like, like acclimate, you know, or in or like inclement weather, bad weather. Um, that is a whole practice of adaptability by itself. Yeah. If you intentionally choose to go outside to train in, you know, like, I mean, you're, you're in a more tropical part of Canada, correct? <laughs> yeah. Say that, that again. Right? Totally. I know if, if you're listening to this, you're like, what Canada has tropical. We yeah. Have, yeah. We have, uh, well, we have palm trees growing here on this Island. So I live in Victoria on Vancouver. Island, yeah. And, uh, so, yeah. I mean, you, you probably have a lot of rain, right? We have rain where it's a rainforest technically. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, for, you know, rain, like in Colorado, if I'm going out in a snowstorm or rainstorm, what's been raining all week here. Um, I think that is so valuable. And it's enjoyable too. It's a whole, it's, uh, you're getting a, you're training your physiology, the movement of your cells and everything like, like the, like you said it earlier in the beginning of the podcast, the unseen aspects of movement are happening yeah. when you're in bad weather. Your body is doing all these things to protect you from it. And I think that is so powerful. So if anyone's out there, go, go train in a storm. Just, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I and I, and, and I, you probably remember vividly some of the times when you've been exposed to some of the conditions that you find outdoors. And uh, mm-hmm. it's like a seal needs to be broken. If you're not already accustomed to it, there's a lot of apprehension. But mm. once once you start to kind of fold back those layers, uh, it actually – something switches. Something switches on inside you, I feel where you're mm-hmm. brought to terms with these things, you recognize it, right? You recognize these feelings. And then once you acclimate yourself to it and you actually start to get a little comfortable in it, it's an astounding mm-hmm. feeling. Um, oh my God. Yeah. So, it, but more to the point where we were saying before is like when you try some of these skills, when it's just a little bit wet, a little bit cold and you're getting like glove hand and you're trying to climb, it really uh, puts perspective on the vast disparity between only training indoors and then doing something outdoors with an environment that's not necessarily as forgiving with other 
variables coming in, wind and sunshine and dust and strange shapes and uh, things that might not stay underfoot, right? So you're, you're constantly mm-hmm. mitigating risk, which I, I think in and of itself, it's a, it's a great exercise just for overall awareness, right? For, mm. for example, so environment being important and environment also being um, uh, sort of local to where you are. And, and so, for you know, you brought up that I'm in a rainforest. I've had people visit me here and I've, after my first couple visitors, they weren't so sure about how things grow on the West Coast. So because it's so wet here, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's wet, like, wet patches everywhere you're going to have like Mm -hmm. wet moss you're going to have like seaweeds growing there's just slippery slimy stuff on the rocks right so when i bring friends over i had two friends i I did did not tell them and they're walking around and they don't know what to look for and their feet go out from under i'm like oh man it was slippery here and i was was even thinking to myself i sort of said something so now when i have Mm -hmm. visitors very very quick to tell them like all right so we're going over to this place and it's you know it's going to be very wet so watch out for this this and this but it's only Mm. because i've lived here for a few years that i know what to look for in your neighborhood you know what to look for right so it's Mm -hmm. it's always about becoming aware of the environment that you're in but if you have to do it a few times it becomes a little bit more of a of a habit for you right so you're always then sort of checking out your environment looking for dangers but also looking for things to engage with, right? So when I talk about obstacle optics, that's what I'm referring to. It's just the ability through your, your training and through your experience. It's like how to look and scan your environment and see things that you can engage with, see things that you can mm-hmm. play with. And I think that's a, a fun little side, side uh, experiment that runs that runs along with you during your progression in this system for sure. I li- I like that obstacle optics. That's yeah. great. The uh you know, I I recently in February I went on a it was a sacred hunting trip in Texas. And I had never, you know, I'd been to Austin a couple times, but I was in the city the whole time. And so I'd never really experienced the landscape of Texas before. And what immediately struck me hiking on the land and, and hunting and I've hunted in Colorado was, wow, this is totally different because in Colorado you can be like, Oh, there's a ridge line. We have mountains everywhere. You know, the whole state, we have continental divide running through us. So you go up on a ridge line, you're like, all right, now I can see for 20 miles. You know, like I have, I have a vis- visibility for so far in Texas. It's these like gentle rolling Hills. So even the tallest Hill you get on, you're never higher than any of the trees. So you're really just looking into the brush the whole time. And I'm like, wow, this, it, it kind of like, I don't know why it was so like awestruck, (laughs) like why I was so awestruck by it, but it was, uh, it was a really powerful lesson for me to be, to really see that the land or the environment is dictating how you, you know, and hunting, especially like how you hunt, how you, it's like a, how you move. And hunting being such a primal human practice, I mean, arguably one of the reasons that we move the way we move is because of hunting. And it was a, it was a really visceral lesson doing that. So 
yeah, I don't know where I, there's not a question in there, but. No, but you're right. It's the, but but that, that's it. And that's what we are encouraging through MoveNAT is to allow the environment to dictate how you move because it will and mm. it can and it could be a great teacher. Mm. And, you know, just to feel wet grass under your bare feet uh, if you've not done that for a year uh, or more, you know, years or a lifetime, even for some, you know, some people have, have never experienced just playing outdoors outside of a park right yep so it speaks to us on many levels everybody knows it uh they feel it uh they can intuit it without actually experiencing it but when they experience it it, it it's very profound you know it sounds I, simple I have... things, these <laughs> things sound so simple and and yeah. they can be but it's the experiential component like you just don't know until you try what it is yeah. talking, you know? Well, and so I have, I want to get through, I have like, I asked you two questions. I have like a list of questions. Okay. Let's, let's do a, <laughs> let's do a, let's do a uh, uh, what's that called? Like a quick fire round. Speed, speed round. Yeah. Okay, go. Speed round. Well, no, we can take, we can take a little bit of time. I mean, if you have time. I'm going to answer everything in 10 words or less. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, g- give me some, give me some good answers. Okay, but, sure. uh, so I have a question like, tell me about a client or a, you know, a student, anyone who you taught and then they, from teaching them, it changed your practice radically. <laughs> like your practice was like, wow, like uh, just any client or student. Yeah. Okay, let's your practice was I, shifted. I've got a killer story on that. Okay. So okay. I, uh, this was just very recently uh, after I started doing MoveNet. And uh, I had, uh, at the time, uh, he was 18 years old. Um, he was uh, high-functioning autism. Uh, his name is Benjamin. Mm. And uh, he came to me. He Now, listen, he had already burnt through two or three other trainers. Um, he had bouts of uh, rage. Um, and he was very testy, you know. So he burnt through these three other trainers. They, they, they tried. They couldn't get a handle on him. They just couldn't see. Uh, they didn't work. Didn't work. So they came to me and they said, Hey, listen, he doesn't really like working out. Um, we just, we, but we want to encourage him to start doing some things and moving his body. We understand it'll be very beneficial to him. I said, okay, let's do this. So MoveNet gave me the tools to be able to play with this guy and engage with him in a certain way. But I, mm-hmm. I think also personally, it's just like, I was, uh, I also had a martial arts background, so that's how I treated it. I treated it very much like you are now stepping into the dojo with me. I mm. demand only so much respect. Just just respect the space. Yeah. <laughs> only respect the space yeah. and the people around you and me. We're, we're friends, but there, there had to be some terms, right? So that's how mm. it started. And um, I really think that it was just the nature of movement that allowed this play. Anyway, I'll, I'll spare you the details, but we trained together for two years. And in that two years, he actually went on to also start in um, a figure skating. So I worked with his coach and, and we just kind of mm. got him to be the best figure skater he could be. Long story longer, though. He got uh, <laughs> accepted. Anyway. Anyway, I'll just say this. He made it to the Special Olympics. He qualified. He did it. And uh, my boy ended up coming back 
I think it was something like four gold medals. You know, so wow. that's obviously my 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 favorite story to tell. So so this kid didn't even want to exercise. He was not interested, and he ended up within a couple of years loving it so much that he embraced his sport and, and went to the Olympics and, and won. Like, did I make this story up? No, man, this is all real. Like, it's crazy. So what about, what about him changed, changed you though? Like what specifically in you did you feel was like, Whoa. Oh man, like, he changed. Well, he challenged, he challenged the shit out of me every single session. Right. So mm. I, I had to learn all. So I had to get deep into my, my, my bag of tricks. And so I was able to then, really draw upon the lessons that I learned working with these kids in Italy. Right. Because, Mm -hmm. and so I, the, the way that I was able to communicate him, recognize his little twinges, little things that happened that I knew that he was about to move to the dark side and throw a med ball at my face. I was like, (laughs) so I was able to calm him down, give him mantras and breathing exercises to work through. And so it it made Mm. me up. It made me much more empathetic, uh, much more tolerant, Mm much more patient, much more aware, much more engaged. Oh, that's amazing. You know, and, and so, yeah, he taught me a lot about my own patience, my own capacity for calm endurance, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and yeah, he, he, he taught me more than, uh, than I could have imagined actually. So that he's my most, uh, that's probably my biggest success story as far as a two way learning street. That's for sure. Mm. Oh, that's amazing, dude. I, I love that. Um, so Benjamin, okay, if you're out there, uh, you're still my boy. Benjamin. Yeah. Benjamin. Um, if there were no barriers, you know, what is one project or goal that you would personally, or through MoveNet, either way, uh, that you would like to see happen? Like no, if there's no barrier. No, no barrier. Making it. Yeah, like you know, no no hurdles to making it happen. Like if you could just kind of snap your fingers, be like, I, "This is the project you want to see happen." Move that space. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, that would be awesome. That, that I uh, that'd be awesome if we could uh, team up with Elon and do yeah. like SpaceX and Move Nats. Oh yeah, uh, move, move Nat X. Move Nat X. Uh, you know yeah. what? I, I mean. Yeah, I would love to see people crawling in space. Well, I, I kind of... It's actually making like, sense to me now. See, this is why you, you don't want to ask me these crazy questions. You know, I, as a, si- as a side tangent, my, my, uh, my dad's company works with SpaceX. Okay, so my dad, is, my dad met Elon. So, I mean, we could make it let's happen. Let's make it happen. Yeah, this could be good. Let's okay. make it happen. Uh, uh, something a little bit more grounded. Um, okay. Gosh, uh, no, no boundaries. Okay, well, I would like to see this rolled out into schools. How about this? I would like to see MoveNet take number one spot in the physical education of every school on mm. the planet. I, I know that if I had access to MoveNet instead of basketball and soccer and football and hockey, because I didn't play any of those, and I know a lot of people that aren't very interested in sport, you know, yeah, right. Yeah, you have to see the hands. <laughs> but if 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 you were to be told like, hey, we're gonna work on skills that uh, are gonna set you up for success in any sport or any activity, any endeavor that you choose to do in life, um, this is the master template. Uh, what do you think? Mm-hmm. I would have been all over that, man. I would have been all mm-hmm. over that because 
you know, lunar movement is really it's the it's the operating manual for the human body. Truly, like mm-hmm. you, you learn all of the aspects of what it is to have to engage, right? Um, mm. Not just movement, but other things too. But you know, that could be hours long. Um, I'd like to see that. You know, I'd like to see uh, more. I'd like to see some studies done because uh, we all know. There was one study done, wasn't there? Well, I'd like to see studies done for for, for medical, actually, for uh, for like medical professionals, people like therapists, uh, to get oh, okay. this, yeah, to, to get this in as a as a diagnostic tool and as a way to rehabilitate people. Uh, because I mean, anecdotally, we get a ton of information, right? We have so many people out there, therapists, and doctors, and chiropractors. And they're all using it with great success, but we need we need data. Yeah. We need the data. So we're looking at doing something like that. And we, we're looking at uh, starting a, like a medical uh, board almost. So th- these are things that we're, we are talking about. There is movement. We do have some schools that are beta testing this right now. But if I could just. There, yeah, there's a. So Chinook Trail, uh, Colorado Springs, they are like a MoveNet program for their PE class. Yeah. And it, we're actually, yeah. yeah, we're, you know, this is, we're donating. Uh, a large chunk of the equipment from MoveNet Denver to that school. Oh, killer! Yeah, yeah, killer. we're you know we're trying to sell it, being forthright with it, but uh, we decided it would be best to donate it to that school and like oh. let kids play on it and use it. That's great, man. So that's going to be happening sometime in June. But I did I I so agree. Like getting MoveNet into public school would be amazing. I mean, we tried to do it when we had MoveNet Denver. We tried going to my old high school and. I even was like, hey, I'm alumni, blah, blah, blah. I know the teachers here. Um, we would love to help change your PE program. And it was basically just a brick wall. They're like, yeah, sorry. Well, it's like, always tough to make these big changes because in order for them to embrace change, they have to first admit that what they have isn't the best. Yeah. I run, yeah. I run against this anytime I try. So anytime I've tried to work with uh, military, law enforcement, uh, firefighters, it's it's always a lot of this, well, no, 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 no. And, and I, I think a lot of it, and, and also, you know, with school boards too, is like the curriculum has been written up. It's been very, uh, very similar for a long time. And so any changes are going to require some work. Right? <laughs> Not everybody's up for yeah. the work task of changing it but also they have to then admit it's like okay well if, if, if we need this not only to supplement but to supplant what we're doing mm-hmm. so then what are we doing wrong and so have we been negligent right have we been negligent on this like i think it just brings up a lot of questions that are, are very difficult to answer a lot of soul searching you know perhaps, well, like, perhaps. or it's just friction no, I, we don't know i don't know <laughs> I, I think you're totally I think you're totally right, but it's it's funny though because if somebody if if I were, you know, a superintendent or of a school district or a principal or something, I and I was like, "Hey, if you own the fact that you were wrong or that you're like, "Hey, we found a better way to train our kids or to to change our PE program. We've we've actually improved upon it." Then you're changing because you are you're you're being humble you know you're creating humility and people whether they know it or not respect somebody who is humble and just by virtue of 
being willing to change your program, you're showing humility because you're like, look, we we've been met, we've messed up for the last forty years of public education. <laughs> like, yeah. And you're demonstrating you know. that you're now a thought leader and you're a pioneer yeah. in the advancement. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could also spend another couple hours talking about the impact on cognition that movement oh has. On <laughs> and, and so, so they, they should be married. You know, I, mm-hmm. honestly, I think that every class should start off with 15 minutes of activity and then let's go to learning. Mm. You know, there should be more recess. There should be more play. There should be more movement. There should be more access to outdoors. Like this, this, I think the whole model is, uh, okay, well, we're at a good time now to kind of do this, right? Because we're already looking at changes that have had to happen with school and learning in the classroom mm-hmm. over the last year through COVID. So do we just go back to the way it used to be? Or can we implement real change now when it seems like this template is kind of begging, begging for a little bit of, uh, of dismantling and reorganization, mm-hmm. you know, so can we come up with a better model than it has been sitting in desks? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, we, we obviously can't, remove the classroom because you know we have to have kids engaging with each other we need that community but does it have to be structured the same way i don't i don't think so uh i i think a lot of the teaching and a lot while well, a lot of the learning a lot of the better learning uh, is done when kids are mentally engaged obviously obviously but how you get them mentally engaged you need to engage their entire body right it doesn't mm-hmm. you're not just going to light them up yeah, well, the studies have already been done. The studies have done. There's a great yeah. book called well, Spark. I don't know if you've read that. I can't remember the, art, the author off by hand, but there's uh, so much evidence that comes out of this. And this has already been implemented yeah. in schools, you know. But I think instead of some of the just the track and field and some of the other uh, event or other um, activities that they're running, I just think MoveNet would be the ultimate, the ultimate choice. It's. I well, like you, we've been kind of harping on this whole time. It's a complete system, yeah. you know. So you're, if a kid chooses to play football, basketball, soccer, whatever, MoveNet isn't going to hurt that no, in it, any way. No, it'll make it's it only better. going to enhance it. Yeah, it, it's only it, going to enhance it's it. It's the on ramp program that every human needs in order to move freely in any environment. You know, so mm-hmm. if, if that were my selling feature, that would be it. Like, everybody benefits with MoveNet. You know, I, I have a, okay. So this is, I think how to word this. I find it interesting. So I, I don't think our ancestors thought about movement like this at all. I don't think they even thought about it in really in any way. I think they just did it, you know, and this is all theoretical and maybe just conjecture, but like, I believe civilization is the very reason we even have conversations like this and that we even have thoughts about spirituality or meditation, these deeper insights into movement. Would any of that even exist if we were still hunter gatherer tribes, you know, because like a good example, really quick, just to to finish the thought, uh, Paul Saladino, who's the carnivore doc. I listened to a podcast with him because he went and spent time with the Hadza, 
And so I, he follow, did whole, I follow him on the gram, so I'm familiar with what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. About. So he did a whole he did a whole podcast with Anthony Gustin, who's another doctor. And they they went to the they went to Africa, spent time with the Hadza, and they asked the Hadza these questions like, you know, what is your dream? Like what are your goals? Blah blah blah. And every answer was to kill the biggest game, mm-hmm. to hunt. You know, it was there was no like existential reason for anything. And so I feel like some of, you know, the kind of the light in the dark side of movement specifically in civilization is we're able to take it much further than you would maybe need to take it or could take it if you were living a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. But at the same time, are we walking into a rabbit hole that doesn't necessarily need to be explored? I, I think it really comes down to a time factor. So because we've limited our movement to a small compartmentalized little chunk of time, we try to maximize what we can do in that time. And, and that mm. in, a, in effect is, is modern fitness because we, we do sh- jack shit for 23 hours, <laughs> go to the gym for one hour and we want to make up for that deficit. Right. So I think that's really what happens. So do you actually, do you need to train like that? If you spread your training out throughout the day, well, probably not, right? So it's simple things. I, I just feel like I've said this thing so many times, but I'm going to say it again. If you just sat down on the floor instead of the chair, man, that's a big one. That's a huge one. And you don't have to do it all the time. Just just once in a while, just get up and down off the ground, you know? But if you were to do that mm-hmm. fall, you just think, just do it a few times a day. At the end of the week, you've done it. 20 something times you know mm-hmm. so it's about getting volume so it's just a little bit you want to do little bits a lot that's it just do a little a lot and mm-hmm. that'll most often times it'll take care of these little uh, inefficiencies that you have hang hang from something i have a hang anywhere anytime policy i tell my clients like if you see something do something. That's that's my little line. You know, if, or, you know, if you see something to hang, hang on it. If you see something you want to balance on, go balance on it. If you uh, see something and you want, you feel uh, compelled to 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 crawl. I, I I'm always feeling compelled to crawl, but not everyone is. But if you are, just do it. Get down and start moving around on the ground. It's uh, it's actually great. Embrace. What? Embrace the weirdness. Embrace you know? the weirdness. embrace it. Let's Got let's it. normalize. Yeah, let's normalize weirdness. We should normalize getting down on the ground because that's actually very taboo, right? Mm-hmm. The, the biggest thing that I have to overcome with people is them looking at their hands and looking at the ground and thinking, ooh, do I want to put my hands there? So again, this is an offshoot of just the way that we've insulated ourselves within uh, the, the world that we've created, right? So we're a you know, and now after this year of hand sanitizer, it's like, has it gotten any better? I don't know. Has it gotten worse? I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. Dude, I want to I wanna shift gears because I've wanted to ask you this. It has nothing. I mean, maybe it does, but it really doesn't have much to do with movement. Um, let I want to talk tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, excited. Can I just yeah. say something? Uh, on my Instagram, this is just something that I, uh, it's funny because people always expect that I, uh, I'm subs- 
that I follow all of the the fitness trends, but I don't. I I have so much yeah. of that going on in my life. I don't. I actually follow mostly tattoo artists on my Instagram. So yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I love I love tattoos. I love. It. Yeah, no, and I I love that you love tattoos. Yeah, exactly. You you are. I mean, I was with you. You got a tattoo here. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, you were and you're staying at my house. You got a tattoo here. So didn't you? Did I? I thought you did. I thought you said, or did you try to? I can't remember. About it was either you tried to or you did. Or I it just did. Oh, the, I just did. That's right. Because I was in New York before I came to yeah. stay with you that second time yep. in Denver. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This guy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so you had just gotten one, and then I remember you were talking to Noah, our mutual yeah, yeah, friend, yeah, yeah, Noah, yeah. and, and you're right. like, oh, where's your tattoo artist? And you were thinking about getting one set up. But anyway, what, like, I only have two tattoos. I do plan on getting more. But what is it, do you, like, what do you know about tattoos historically? Like, why, why do people get them? Why do you get them? What is the driver behind the artistic expression of a tattoo? <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot there. I want you to answer any way you want. Okay, well, um, s- sometimes, I mean, traditionally, they were they could be used uh, for anything, just just art or t- a designation, uh, some type of a social hierarchy could be. It could be a rite of passage. Uh, it could be also a talisman of some kind, somebody mm-hmm. that kind of holds like some type of power. For me. It's all of those things. Uh, it reminds me of where I was and what I was doing and who I was and what my influences were at that time. It reminds me of these uh, the circumstances around that time. So it, it in, a, in a way, sort of like um, it creates like a, a permanent moment that I can go back and reflect upon. Maybe. Mm. Uh, second thing it can do is it ties me in with the artist. So the artist, for me, if I don't have a good connection with the artist, I won't bother but i don't need a lot right answer my email talk to me like i'm a good person and uh you know take my money be appreciative give me a good piece we'll hang out afterwards for a little bit and that's it you know i don't ask for much but i do like a good connection with the person um i like the idea because i have this thing with permanence right i think permanence is an illusion however right given enough time so are these but there's something about getting a tattoo that actually it forces you to face the idea of permanence. The shit doesn't rub mm. off. So you're just like, <laughs> okay, because it wasn't until I got my first one when I was, sorry, mom, but I was like, I think I was 13, right? You were 13? Uh, it was a whole, my, my friend, you? yeah, my friend, he made okay. a, he made a, a tattoo machine out of a, uh, a, a big pen cartridge and <laughs> a Walkman motor and just like a simple, simple uh, pin, right? So, so he wanted to practice circles. I said, I got, yeah, I like happy faces. This is a happy face. So I had this happy face tattoo, but I got it when I was 13 or 14. And it wasn't in like a month later that I realized like this does not wash off, you know? So I understood the concept (laughs) of of permanence. And so there was something that anchored me into that understanding. I remember it was profound. I was like, okay, so some things, Hmm. Some things are almost forever, you know, uh, but I like yeah. that. I didn't get my next tattoo till I was in my thirties. And so I, it took me a while. Oh, okay. I actually was really interested for a long time, but I had enough friends that got them. Um, and they were amateur jobs. 
And at first it's cool, but then a couple years later it's not. And then when you're an adult looking at something you got as a child, it's embarrassing almost. You're like, oh God. So I, did, I, wanted, I didn't want to, to be a victim of that. I didn't want to do that. I saw enough of my friends go through that. So I waited till I was 30 and I had a very good idea as to what I wanted, the style I wanted. And then the very first one, I was just, I, I wanted to make sure that anything that I saw from the artist, I was like, that's shit hot. Like I, he could put anything on me and it would probably look good. So that's how I broke the seal. I was like, okay, I always want to go to this person. That, and that was this one here, and it was in Milan, so it was pretty cool. I, I, you know, in Italy, I had to go a couple trips and see this guy, and mm. I felt cool. And I came back with this awesome permanent uh, souvenir. So that's then how I started to do it. So when I travel, so I'm doing moon nat certs, or if I'm traveling, I usually get a tattoo from someone local, and and that's my. Uh, it's my uh, my souvenir. It's almost like sending a package around the world, you know, in the cartoons, and they like <laughs> ship a trunk and then like go around the world and be back within twenty frames. But it would have all the stickers from all the world destinations. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Like I'm just like I'm a skin suit, this big fleshy trunk, and I'm getting all my like world stamps. And when mm. I when I oh, come, awesome. yeah, like, I'm home. I, I've got a new thing that just shows where I've been. Cheesy. Are you running out of room right now? that's the other thing too. The more you get, the more you realize how much space you actually have. It's expensive. <laughs> I think I've, I think I have 20 something now. Um, and man, I, I c- could do this two or three more times. I think like, it's amazing when you start thinking that there's something the size of your hand that you can put it all over your body. That's actually a, a fun experiment. So to see like surface area, your hand, how much you have on your body is it's actually more than you might think, man. I have mm. tons of free space just on my arms. They're kind of like prime real estate, but you know, I, I can get one here, one here, uh, one here, another one down there. I can get two here. It's like, yeah, that's just one arm. I think it's going to take a while. I think, I think I'll probably end up spending like close to 50 grand by the time I'm done. Well, and hey, if you keep practicing movement the way you do, the tattoos they look good. Yeah, they look I, good. <laughs> they they add they add they add value to the physique. Oh uh, yeah, I'm just gonna get <laughs> I'm just gonna get muscle striations tattooed on me. Then, if that's the case, I'm gonna have muscles tattooed on my muscles. Do yeah, tattoo a six pack. Yeah, so it's just there. It's there forever. It's, I think it's been done. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure sure. it's got to have been done. If you're out there and you have, uh, if you're listening to this podcast (laughs) and if you can, if you can send me a picture of, um, of abs tattooed on your abs, um, you can come train with me for a week for free. Oh man. Did I, that's, I just just put that out there, didn't I? You did. Are you going to fly him out too? No. So, okay. All all right. All all your expenses and you have to bury yeah, barrier to entry, yeah. but you can train for free if you get out there. And you're not staying in my house. Yeah, you can you can sleep outside the gym. I I just I wanted to know about that because uh I know tattoos are definitely a passion of yours and I uh I was just curious about yeah. it. Yeah, and then the last thing I said about the talisman, I mean it's sort of true for me as well. I, I don't I'm not going to go so far as to say that it gives me imbues power on me, but I do draw something from it and, and maybe nothing other than understanding that I've got experience, you know, it's like mm-hmm. this, this, everything that I have is uh, it's, it demonstrates a period of time that I was in. A lot of them are challenging times too, you know? So if I can overcome that, 
if I look at something, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that was tough, but here I am to get another one. That that in mm-hmm. itself is encouraging, you know. And well, that's, that's a I get a lot of tough ones. So if nothing else, if it if it makes me feel tougher, then I'll take it, man. Placebo is a hell of a drug. <laughs> but I mean, that's a that's Viking runes. Yeah. You literally just describe Viking runes. You know, they yeah. would do tattoos of runes, and they would also take these runes and they would either chant them or they would hold on to them because it imbued them with a specific energy. Yeah. You know, whether it was a representation of a god or strength or you know, their ability to barter or whatever it is, their speech, the, a rune is really powerful. And that's ultimately, you know, what you're saying about having it as a talisman, these tattoos is yes, it's placebo, but that doesn't discredit the fact that it's real. Well, it's a real experience it, for you. It's the power of belief, right? Yep. So there's, there's a yeah, lot. So of I think, that's that. awesome. There's something to that, you know, I don't like to put too much onus on that. Um, you know, but uh, it, it's part of the psychology. It's part of my psychology around it. So no, there's. Mm-hmm. I think there's something, something, something to that there for sure. Thanks for asking, man. Like I love talking about tattoos. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I figured it'd be a cool topic. But I uh, okay. Last question before okay. we wrap up. All right. If what is one practice book, person, documentary, whatever it is, just like one thing that you would recommend someone investigate or partake in to immediately improve their day, week, or year? (laughs) Okay, so anything. could be a book, uh, a movie. could be whatever, yeah. Anything you're called to talk about, yep. Holy smokes, that's a good question. Um, Wow, geez, man, this is like dead air, dead air time right now. That's okay. That's, no, I will. I can just keep talking to fill it while you think about it. That's a really good question. You know, like what's that one thing, right? How do you how do you pinpoint that thing? Um, well, maybe okay. I, I guess maybe reflect on what is something you do daily that really helps you. I'm uh, okay. Eh, learn an instrument. I, I, mm. I, I'd have to mm. say that I, I'm usually quick to say that right off the bat. And I, I for some reason, I kind of, I was thinking literature or art, but you, yeah, I think, I think music, uh, for a lot of reasons, I think you access a certain part of your brain. You actually kind of create this bridge between left and right. And although that's not entirely accurate, but um, mm. other thing you're looking at fine motor skills, looking at rhythm, tempo, timing, what you're forced to do with music is you're, you have punctuated notes. Because I, I use music to uh, as a metaphor to, to, to explain movement. So you have punctuated notes and you have rhythm. But really mm-hmm. what creates the mood of a piece is the space, mm. the dead space in between. That's what really creates the flavor and the color and the energy of a, of music of a song. It's it's not the the notes necessarily. The notes can bring you places, but where you're suspended is in that that empty space, and and that's mm. beautiful. So when I use that as a metaphor for for movement, is that you have positions, the notes, 
and you have transitions moving between the notes. But where the magic is, is in the space. It's in the space within the transition. It's the most dangerous. It's the most unpredictable, but it holds the most potential, you know? So I, I'd mm. say learn, learn an instrument. Um, doesn't matter what it is. Learn something as maybe a jumping off point, but you'll not only experience or, or start to appreciate the instrument, but you'll, you'll start to appreciate all music very differently. And uh, it might inform some other aspects of your life. So that would, that would be one. And if I was to say number two, I'd say try to learn a second language. I, I, oh, if there's anything awesome. that changed me more in my life, was learning a second language because as an adult learning a second language, if you don't already speak a second language, if you do learn a third language, learn another language as an adult. It, it was the most challenging. I need to learn another language. But yeah, most no, I'm rewarding thing because uh, <laughs> I now speak English and understand my own language at a much, much greater depth. So, and mm. because of that, I'm able to now understand the world around me. At a much more profound level. I, I I I do feel that. So yeah, that's beautiful. I like both those answers. Um, I mean, <laughs> no one's no one said, dude. No one said music yet. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And we've we've asked everyone this question. I think we maybe forgot one person, but we've asked everyone this question, and no one said music yet. So I, I have a third music. one, but okay, do it, Jack. Drop it. Let's hear it. Psychedelic drugs. Okay. All right. Now you're now you're getting into what we we like to talk about. <laughs> yeah. No. But um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. No. no but yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. But yes. Yeah. Those are the. Uh, if I were to do that, no hierarchy there. Just the. You have no preference for which ones you like or don't like, or. Well, uh, if you want to talk about that, then I'll preface it by saying that I approach each and everything with reverence. I don't. Uh, it's not. Uh, uh, it's not something I, uh, that I do just for fun. Uh, uh, the way that I was introduced to it was with respect, and um, mm. and the way that I like to discuss it is with a little bit more respect, not reverence in the sense that I'm, I'm placing it on any type of pedestal, but just understanding that the, the potential for of both good and bad are there. It's a transition, right? So there's high danger. You're transitioning all if you if you know what I'm saying, you are almost transitioning from one plane of existence to another. Like sometimes. Oh, yeah. So yeah, there's a transition again. So it can be dangerous. So I don't know, you, you need to come up with this. Uh I, I could go on for many hours about this topic. It's something I, I love and know a lot about as well. But I, uh, I, yeah, I'm not no, telling anyone I, to go out and do it. Definitely not. But yeah. maybe start to investigate uh, what we're learning through uh, some of the, the the work that's going on at John Hopkins University, for example. You know, when you have maps. a high percent of people, when you have a high percent of people, they're coming back and saying that only within one or two uh, administrations of these drugs. I'm talking about psilocybin right now. Um, that it, it has a, a much more profound and greater, longer-lasting effect on depression than years or months of psychiatric drugs, pharmaceutical mm -hmm. drugs. So there's, in my mind, there's, there seems no other reason um, 
why there's all this taboo around psychedelics other than it's uh, it's a control mechanism to keep you on other less <laughs> and more expensive and more toxic substances. Oh yeah. Or highly well, and regulated and I you know in MDMA too. Maps is doing research with MDMA that three doses of MDMA had for I think it was I can't remember the exact stat. It's around 70%. A big number of people, you know, in terms of like, oh, the efficaciousness of this drug. But around 70% of people who'd had three experiences with, experiences with a guided therapist mm-hmm. on MDMA completely overcame PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Like, that's that's amazing. And so you, you know, like, so MAPS is, you know, MAPS, right? Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. It was funny because when I, when I created the MoveNap MAPS, that, that other yeah. MAPS, that other MAPS <laughs> was, was echoing through my head every time. I'm like, oh, I don't know about this, but whatever. I love that yeah. too. So I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. But yeah, no, oh, go with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, this <laughs> yeah, so I didn't even think about this now. Yeah, I know, I know. It was it was funny because when I, when I was thinking about that, I was like, well, um, yeah, all the things that you said. So, uh, listen, if you're going to take away anything from this, what we're saying, we both said it. A guide is good to have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, listen, if we're going to keep going on this, it's a whole other podcast. But maybe that's something we could talk about. We should do. We should do a whole other podcast. Because I could talk thing, about well, I could talk about mixing the the, the blending of the two, so movement and oh, some yeah. other things. Uh, so just to kind of maybe leave it at this is I used to run small little intimate groups that I called visionary interplay, which did an intermingling of these two subjects, and it's incredible. So Ah, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I was very much into that as a, a self practice of going out into nature and exploring movement, you know, while I don't like to say under the influence, but you know, while participating in something like that. And, but one thing that you said is you were introduced to it with reverence or with a sense of respect. I was not, I, (laughs) I started I was introduced to it when I was 16 years old and pretty much from 16 to maybe 22, it was just the free for all. No set and setting was even thought of just go for it, do your thing. And so for my own personal experience, what I would suggest to people is do not do that. Yeah. Uh, Not, not a good, not a good idea to go to a house party on, you know, a couple hits of, you know, Orange Crush, LSD. <laughs> oh, well, well, shit, man. It's funny that you said because that's actually the, the the thing that I did. One of the early mistakes that I made, and mm. uh, I quickly hightailed it out of there, and I went to the woods, and I spent yeah. the rest of my time in the. And it was the middle of the night. I was up all night just hiking around, and. Um, it was nothing short of incredible. You know, that was the, my, one of my biggest, most profound times. I, I have a whole story to go around that none of it makes sense. I even checked in with the person that I was with to talk about this because it left such a powerful impact on my life. And I didn't really think about it until again recently. I'm like, oh, wow, I had this episode. I need to check in with this other person I was with. 
And man, we just talked about it maybe a month ago. We kind of verified our stories and they checked out. And we hadn't spoken about it in over 20 years. And <laughs> we hadn't talked about it in 20 years because we were both kind of freaked out about it. And so when we did finally talk about it after two decades, both of our notes checked out. I have to know what the story is. We can't leave it at that. Well, we we had a we, uh, we had a shared we had a shared hallucinations. Actually, is what it was. So we uh, we ended up on a, a piece of uh, land outside my small t- a small town, right? So we would go and follow the, the train tracks out and go across this big iron bridge and then up this what we called a mountain. It was just a high lookout point for this geographical area. And it's where I used to go all the time as a kid. I'd go there all the time, just hang out. It was outside of town. Not a lot of people went mm-hmm. there. It had a great view, the vantage point for this area, the vantage point. Um, a tactical vantage point, actually, from like early warring tribes. Um, okay. Story. So I, I'd be there and I'd spend a lot of time and hang out there and meditate when I, before I knew what meditation was. So, but we both felt compelled to go there, and we did. And throughout the time, we had a lot of time just sort of spacing out and watching things. And um, it, it wasn't until but we both remembered it because it was so crazy. And then upon reviewing our notes 20 years later, we realized that we were seeing the same shit. What were so, you seeing? We were seeing these like bubbles come out from the sky and kind of landing on the lake and then just slowly being absorbed into the water was one thing. It's like these bubbles just falling down, falling down. Um, we also had a really crazy experience when we got to the top. So what, what ended up happening, I can't say I've seen this type of weather very often, but there are these two sort of mounds at the top of this hill, the two sort of high elevation points. I was here, he was here. The entire scene was white out because it was cloud and then fog and then mist. What a combination. So to us, we looked like we were on these tiny little disks of earth separated (laughs) and there was nobody else, nothing else except for us standing on our little patch of dirt, staring at each other in amazement. It's just how the world just totally dissolved around us. And we're just standing here perched upon this little patch of earth and it's another thing that i think that we recognized it at the time didn't say anything but then it's like hey do you remember when and and he was uh he remembered it immediately he says yeah man that was actually one of the craziest experiences of my life we hadn't discussed in 20 years so that's incredible and was that that was psilocybin oh that was uh that was lsd that was lsd okay yeah, I uh, I I find that with both with both of those LSD psilocybin, it creates there can be a lot of shared experience happening. I've seen I've experienced it myself many times, and I've read about it. I I used to geek out um, when I was younger on uh, arrowid.org. org. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah anyone, <laughs> anyone that's interested, check out arrowid.org. org. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of trip reports and information. Really great, really great resource if anyone's interested in this stuff. And uh, yeah, so I would geek out on there. And apparently, that is a that's a really common thing. Oh, okay. Is in 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 uh, and it's it what the re like the fact that it's common makes it more interesting to me. Yeah. 
because I'm like, wow, okay, like so this is this goes on. This happens to people and with uh I believe it's ayahuasca, there's two compounds that have been named it's like uh telepathine, I think. They were either gonna name it that or that's what it was named, telepathine. Right. Because it's a compound in ayahuasca because people often have shared vision, shared experiences. And it's yeah. this telepathic molecule. And that's that's just ayahuasca specifically, but it seems to happen with the whole host of tryptamine family. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. With all the different psychedelics. Yeah, that actually that I remember now talking is I spent some time in Peru um, doing some work with ayahuasca and I was down uh, in well middle of nowhere really but uh, I was there for a few weeks and um, some of the stories that were coming out from some of the ayahuasqueros and uh, the, the, the curanderos that were there they were talking about how they used ayahuasca to um, to have visions of uh, things it's often they would get visions of things that were uh, Done, like when people did wrong, right? So they're actually able to use this as a means to go and, and find out a culprit, for example, like who stole my neighbor's chickens? Oh, well. And they would, in their visions, find this person. Now, are these are these made up stories just to romanticize this? I, I don't know, but I mean, how you've experienced it, I've experienced it. It's a, it's a strange thing. So, yeah. Um, no, I, I, <laughs> I like what you're saying because my, so my very first experience with psychedelics, I was 16 years old. It was in every way, shape, and form the wrong set and setting that you could imagine. It was a Halloween party and it was people dressed up and it was a just crazy night. I took 300 micrograms for my very first time. So it was pretty, pretty intense. And anyway, I, there was a guy who was telling a story and I just knew he was lying. Just every facet of my being was like, you're not telling the truth. Like everything was, and then I confronted him in front of everyone about it. And I was like, you're not telling the truth. And it was like this whole thing. And looking back on it, I'm like, okay, like I should have just, like, I didn't know how to contain the energy that was coming in. But to this day, I feel like he was still lying. <laughs> I know. If you're listening to this podcast, he's not like this not. guy. So you yeah. might as well send him a little message just saying yes or no, and we can all sleep better. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, we made up. We, had, we, had, we made up uh, later on, and you know, we, we were good for like yeah. we were good after that. But I haven't, I haven't seen him in years, but I don't think he's listening to this. And anyway, it was a it was a very strange experience though to feel like wow I can sense that the language like we've we've you know got onto the subject earlier in the podcast the language everything he was saying the way he was saying it I'm like that isn't true yeah, like everything is uh, yeah there was, there was a right? like, there was an inconsistency or like a yeah I, I hear you you know and without without having to dive into anything that's uh, too foreign for us. Uh, we would just think, well, people have tells, you know, so you can look for tells whether you're, um, uh, whether you're a, a lawyer or whether you're playing poker, you know, people have tells. 
So the more aware you are to the subtle nature of these, so maybe maybe it was a combination of a shifty eye, a little bit of body posturing, and a, a crack in his voice that singularly wouldn't have been anything, but altogether combined with something that maybe he said another time that you don't even remember, but subconsciously mm-hmm. you knew that there was something not right. And then now that superimposed on this with the facial tick and the weird body language and that something in his voice, maybe that's just enough alarm bells for you to say, Oh, you know, but you're aware of that because you're heightened perceptions, right? Mm-hmm. You're aware, yeah. So, I mean, you don't have to get, you don't have to go, down a rabbit hole too much just thinking like maybe that's that's part of it but uh i no i i agree yeah but and the other end like you know we uh you know we could even talk about moving after like we do have access to these more subtle systems of perception um that maybe we've lost or have been ignoring you know so back to these more animalistic times where uh, a small mistake, you know, so listening to what this person had to say wasn't life or death. But maybe maybe if you were to extract that and put a lot on the line where you had to make a call, right? So maybe, maybe drawing back from these, like, these primal instincts that we have, like perhaps we are better than we think. Uh, perceiving somebody when they're lying or being distruthful uh, dis, uh, mm-hmm. or if somebody is uh, you can't trust them for whatever reason like but socially like societally we've been asked to, to kind of to, to squash a lot of that you know just to be societal like niceties you know to be just mm-hmm. a, a better a better citizen get along with people better uh, we've actually probably handicapped these the, the subtleness, the subtle nature of our perception. So with psychedelics, it might just bring it up a little bit more or at least allow ourselves to relax and pay attention to it. I, I don't know, but I think that there's something there. And this is why we're at this period now where there's a lot more serious study going into it. And I can't wait to see what comes out. So in the next 10 years, where will consciousness studies be? Because we're looking at it through the lens of entering into a space that forces us to do a deep dive. Um, yeah. I don't know how else to, to, to say that, but you know, it's going to take some time because we have all this well, anecdote. We have all these, these stories from war. So can we parse out, what can we parse out of this now with our new understanding? Um, you well, know? oftentimes no, I think what's going to, what I would like to see happen in my ideal vision of the future, if if this becomes more of a normalized thing, psychedelic use, you know, let's say like, especially in Colorado, you have marijuana and alcohol and like we have microbreweries freaking everywhere, like very normalized. If you had psychedelic use very normalized, I would wager that compassion and empathy would become far more normal we would have much more compassionate and much more empathetic people trying to understand each other instead of creating division mm-hmm. we would create more connection and less division yeah and that's what i would like to see and that's what i'm hoping for you know the cool thing about that too 
is it wouldn't even be isolated to the time frame because you know what I find when people do is when they start in, increasing their compassion and empathy is this they can actually act retroactively because there's been more than one occasion and people I've talked to and even myself that I've sent emails to people that existed in my past that I hadn't spoken to in decades or years. And I wrote them a note just saying, Hey, you know what? That stuff that you did and what you told me, I've not forgotten. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Uh, you. You were this to me at this certain part of my life. You had no idea you even did this, I bet. But you know what? It was big for me. And I just want to let you know that, that it meant a lot. Thank you. And so, oh, that's huge. so we can, and we can expand this in both directions, you know, because then we can start being better planners for things that happen in the future. We can maybe anticipate these roadblocks and have better mechanisms with which to, to dismantle them before they even happen. So I, I think that this compassion project is going to expand right into the future and also cure and help heal things from the past because it, it's beautiful. And I agree, man, wholeheartedly. And uh, let's just well, hope we get into a future that embraces this a little bit more. Yeah, well, so what you just said, like you, you know, reaching out to someone and saying like, hey, I know you maybe didn't even think about this, but it really impacted me. I I was on the receiving end of that oh. one time and I, and it was, I was going to a concert at Red Rocks Amphitheater by my house and I called my old boss, this guy, Chris Mills, amazing human being. He's a master diver. If you guys want to learn how to dive underwater, he's teaching it in the Cayman Islands right now. So go check him out. <laughs> I can handle yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Islands right now. Yeah, exactly. I wish too. But anyway, he was an amazing dude. And I I called him. I'm like, yo, man, like you coming to the concert tonight? Because it was a show that we would normally see together. He's like, ah, oh, I, I can't. I'm actually in Mexico diving. And I'm like, oh, like that's awesome. I'm glad you're taking time for yourself because he worked really hard at this business in Evergreen. And I just told him, I was like, I'm glad you're taking time to like do what you actually want to do. That's all I said. A couple months later, he decides to sell his business and he offers to sell it to me. And I'm like, I was intrigued by it. So I had a meeting with him and we're talking about, you know, me buying this restaurant. This was years ago. And I asked him just like, what was going on? Like, why was, what's the change? Like, why did you decide to sell? And he's like, well, you're actually one of the reasons. I decided to sell the business. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you called me when you were at Red Rocks and you told me, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. I'm glad you're doing what you actually want to do. And he said, that hit me so hard that I decided to sell the business. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so you never know what you say to someone that is going to, that could literally change their life. So that being said, like, you don't, know what your actions could provoke as well. So your words and your actions. So we could all be better models and mm -hmm. you know, back to the whole movement thing I and mean, movement, uh, if we better movement models, so we have an opportunity to demonstrate for the next generation what's possible. You know, remember when you're, uh, remember when you were younger and you used to see people that, I, at least this is me. I remember seeing like, um, like, you know, my, my, my dad's a stud. He looks young still. I can't even use my parents as examples. But some other, my, some other uh, parents of mine, when you see them, are like friends of my parents or friends, older people. They 40. If you're 40, you look like you're fucking 60. I, I remember that. <laughs> I remember being young and they're like, wow, like 40. You yeah. look old. But yeah. that doesn't seem the case anymore. At least it doesn't with, with our peers. 
you know? Yeah. Like, yep. So can we be better models going into uh, older age for the younger? I mean, er- Erwan, he's like 50, right? Yeah, Vic. Yeah, Vic. They they're, don't look like they look good. They look amazing. Like they look amazing. They're killing it. Yeah. So those two are models for me, right? Because they represent the mm-hmm. next 10, 20 years. And so, you know, I hope to be a model for some of these 20, 30-year-olds that say, oh, my God, Steph, well, you're 43. <laughs> well, you don't look it. I was like, okay, good. Thanks. Thanks for that soft close. But, you know, <laughs> can we be that modeling generation for the next one? I hope so, too. So, yeah. That, mm. That's beautiful. Well, I did. You're you're like Erwan and Vic are to you. Like you're like that for me. Oh, thanks, so I wanted buddy. to know that. Yeah, I mean, you're, dude. What your energy like? When I, what I really appreciate about hanging out with you is you're older than me. You bring wisdom, and yet you're very youthful. And but it's not. It's not like youthful naivete where you're you're old and you want to be young it's that you're just you have energy and you're youthful and you have the wisdom of your age and i think that is such a beautiful combination and so i hugely appreciate that i feel like you're like an uncle for matt and i so uh, <laughs> we call me zio yeah. zio stefano <laughs> oh, that's beautiful man thank you oh like yeah, just absolutely. sorry whoever's listening so we we had the opportunity to to live under the same roof for was it, was 10 days ish, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was, it was enough time. time that I felt like your roommate, you know what I mean? Like I felt like I lived there and we had a great time. So we, we, we had a really, um, uh, unique opportunity to bond over that time. And so, so I don't, I don't take it just as like, you know, um, just trying just, just niceties and trying to, uh, Oh Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, no, I, I, I take it seriously. I take it seriously and personally. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I definitely agree. The I wholeheartedly agree about you know spending that time together. It's it's invaluable when if anyone out there has a chance to just room up with someone for a week, ten days, and you know just like connect with them and genuinely try to connect. It's it's amazing what comes out of it. You know, I've I've gone to Airbnbs. And just like the owners there, you know, I went to like a cheaper Airbnb and the owner still lives there. And so I was just staying in a room and I'm like, I want to connect with this person. I'm in their house. And every time I've done that, it has been, they invited me to a party. I had dinner with them. We, we cooked, you know, it's always become an experience. And so the more you like really try to almost from that Italian perspective, let me like put it in the work to break down the walls and get to know this person. Yeah. Um, the more you do that, oh my God, it, magic, magic happens. It is, yeah. You, you're, it's almost like flexing a muscle, you know. So you have to, it takes practice and diligence, and it takes repeated exposure. And the first few times, you know, might not turn out to much. Uh, every other one might not turn into much, but really, it's only those few times that need to turn into something that completely augments your worldview, and that's worth it right there. There are good people, man. There, I'm convinced that there are more good people out there than bad. There's a lot more beauty in the world than ugly darkness. Um, and so, if you switch yourself to those channels without being naive or somebody that's just purely surviving off wish, wishful thinking, because I think that's bullshit too. But um, community, right? It comes back down to mm-hmm. these very basic things: movement, exercise your body, eat 
real food, get enough sleep, try and not get too stressed out, build your community, get outside, like the simplest things, right? We talked about earlier. It sounds and can be so simple. But humans, how we have a tendency, we love to overcomplicate things. That we were, we're, we're the masters of overcomplication <laughs> to, this, to, the, to, the, to the, the, the detriment of ourselves, right? Because we, we almost feel like if it's not complicated, then there must be something missing, right? It must not be. But it doesn't have to be complicated. Movement's not complicated. It's, it's simple but profound. You know, it's, mm-hmm. the philosophy is simple but profound. And the, the way that you... The way that you embody it can uh, doesn't have to be so complex. Yet the complexity is already there uh, for you to discover. Mm-hmm. So these human relationships, we're we're such complex people living in a complex environment in very complex times right now. So I think because of the situation and the environment is already crazy as fuck. Maybe it, mm-hmm. it's up. It's it's incumbent upon the humans. To just bring it down a level, just bring it down to a level of compassion and communication and open discourse, being honest and, and vulnerable. And maybe that's the only way that we can start to, to create some healing oh, after beautiful. these last couple of years. Oh, that's beautiful. All right. Well, I think that's a good a good place to end on. Cool, man. Um, yeah, it's a two thank hour Thank you mark. so much, brother. Yeah. No, that was this is the longest podcast we've done, so that's awesome. Hey. Cool, All bro. Right. Well, okay. thanks, brother. Well, thanks, everybody listening. Uh, if you've made it through the yeah. hour and 59 minutes and 41 seconds of us talking, thanks. <laughs> well, Ian, so let's uh, let's link people to your content and link people to MoveNat. You're at Captain Stefano. You're the captain. Yeah, Captain Stefano. Um, captain is in Captain Stefano with an F. Steph. Yep, no PH. No PH. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, no I'm neutral. I'm neutral there. on the pH. But not, yeah, not you're neutral. neutral. <laughs> um, uh, what else? Yeah, you but go to movenat.com. Uh, there's tons of free resources out there. You go to the YouTube channel. You go to the Instagram. Um, we've got uh, we've got you covered on all things. Events are happening now worldwide, so definitely check on the event listings for that. We've got a ton of awesome uh, e-courses online resources uh, tons of free stuff like i said so just get up there check it out reach out to me anytime on my socials i'm, I'm always uh willing to communicate talk back and answer questions engage yeah so and and thanks man thanks for having me on this uh this is gonna be this is great Dude. i hope you do it again and i hope this Brother. is a big success for you so i'm, I'm really yeah no think things have been good and I've, I've really been digging just reconnecting with a lot of people cool. you know and this this has been this is honestly one of my favorite conversations that I, we've done so far uh, this uh, has been awesome yeah, we can we can maybe come back for a part two or part three actually and talk about some risque things oh yeah no we'll get it we'll go deep we'll go deep in i'll wear a bars. different t-shirt so i not necessarily have to represent i don't think i'll wear a t-shirt at all next yeah time. okay good. Go. <laughs> good we'll just we'll call it short short shorts as in like it's a short episode and we're wearing short shorts short shorts shorts shirtless short short shorts (laughs) all right all right bro thank you thanks everyone have a good one yeah all right later later